that's one thing too that delayed everything for me by a year because I did not want to reach out to anyone and ask for help. And the second I started asking for help, things just started growing. And I saw all these different parts of my business moving in ways that I've never seen before. And that alone was enough of a reason for me to like, and there's no such thing as a stupid question. If I have a question about something, I don't hold back anymore. I used to, I used to think, Oh, what what are they going to think of me? Are they going to think I'm stupid? Or you know what, if you don't know something, ask, because you're gonna regret if you make assumptions, you know, it's not going to help you or the business or anyone. So This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it as better products, better brands, better leadership for a better world. Thanks to you, our listeners, this podcast is now ranked in the top 10% of all podcasts globally. Let's not stop there, though. If you like our show, please take a moment to leave us a rating or review and share your favorite episodes with your network. The more people we reach, the more good we can bring about in this world. If you work in the industry, you can also join our online community where we're going further, faster, together at community.evolvecpg.com. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On this episode, we're speaking with Erica Rankin, founder and CEO of Brodo, about the challenges of self-funding your business why she decided to share the good times and the bad on social media, and how she tapped into TikTok to grow her sales. So hey, my name is Erica. I'm the Chief Everything Officer and Founder of Brodo, a 100% plant-based edible cookie dough that contains 50% less sugar than traditional cookie dough and five times more protein. We're based out of Toronto, Ontario, and Canada. We sell online across Canada, um, soon the U.S., and we're available in retail stores across Ontario as well. Awesome. Super excited to have you on here, Erica. We've been following you on LinkedIn for a little bit and I think seen you in passing at trade shows and stuff, but we never got a chance to connect. So it's fun to actually connect here in person. And before we dive in deep into what you're up to with Brodo right now, I'd love to just dig into like how Brodo even came to be. And I know that from some of your posts that you've come from a background in fitness, doing like fitness competitions and other things. And that's hence the name Brodo, like Jim Bro. But where did your passion for fitness come from in the first place? Yeah, thanks for having me on the show, by the way. And I guess it all started in university. It was triggered by a breakup. I don't think I've ever told anyone this before. I found a new love, which was the gym. And my roommate had actually competed in some bodybuilding shows. And I kind of saw her go through that journey. And it didn't look like the best journey and the healthiest journey, but I was really curious about it. And I always really like pushing myself and setting new goals and stuff. So I decided to pursue that after graduating uh, a year after I actually graduated in 2018, did a couple shows, became super passionate about health, fitness, better for you foods. And then I realized that there wasn't really a better for you edible cookie dough on the market. So I decided to make one for myself. And then in 2019, in December, I decided to actually turn it into a business and sell the product. Nice. So your love of fitness came after a breakup, as you mentioned, but were you (laughs) into like sports or anything like that growing up? Or was this like a brand new, were you like starting from scratch, like no fitness background, and then you just dove in headfirst? 
Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm not sporty at all. I literally hated gym class. I wasn't the healthiest kid growing up. I had horses, so I was in that. Like I had miniature horses. So I did a little bit of riding and then I had these tiny horses that I think like my shortest one was like 30 inches at the withers, which is the back. So it's funny because I'm almost six feet tall and I have this really tiny horse. So that's as sporty as I got. Like I would go to horse shows and I would jump them and run beside them and almost like do agility like you see with dogs, but with tiny horses. That's how I would describe (laughs) it. (laughs) Tiny horses, is it? (laughs) Were they like actual ponies or something or just a smaller breed of horse? So miniature horses are their own breed. So ponies are different. They're actually bigger and a pony is a pony. And then a miniature horse is basically if you were to take a big horse and put it in a dryer and shrink it, it has the same amount of teeth, same amount of bones. It's just a tiny horse. (laughs) Gotcha. So you kind of became more sporty or kind of fitness oriented and you just like dove straight into almost... Uh, competition or competitive level kind of stuff. So have you always been competitive? Like, were there other things you were competitive in in the past? Yeah, in academics, I was really competitive. I always wanted to get the best grades. I was a keener, I guess you could say. I did really well in school. I was an overachiever in high school and in post-secondary. So I think that's kind of where that came from. And again, like, I always love having something to work towards. So that was something that I prepped for for about a year and a half. So it took a lot of time and energy and efforts to prepare for those shows. Gotcha. Yeah, I feel like there's uh, some people that just no matter what they do, they're always like go all in and have to like compete at the highest level. And they're like internally driven to just push themselves forward or or externally driven and like wanting to achieve the next best uh, thing, get a new award or or unlock some new kind of social or sport achievement or whatever else. But um, it's it's interesting to see sometimes where that drive comes from. Like for you, maybe it was academics. For me, I think one of the, I have like rank on some of the different personality profile tests. Like there's one called the saboteurs where, <laughs> where you kind of rank on like your different personality types that are like probably sabotaging yourself in some ways. And I think mine were like hyperachiever and something else. And I've tried to like think about where my hyperachieverness comes from. And I've seen some things say it's, oh, it's a common trait of ADHD or something like that, that you're always looking for the next challenge. And I've um, seen other things that maybe made me think it's because I had siblings who were like really good at stuff and they would be really good at achieving in academics or in sports or something like that. So I had to find my thing (laughs) where I could achieve. And maybe that's why I got so into art and like, and creativity and stuff like that. I'm not really sure, but it's funny to think about or interesting for me to think about like where that drive comes from. Do you know where yours came from originally? I don't really know. I'm just very, I'm stubborn and I'm very like, I'm I'm an Aquarius. (laughs) So I'm very independent. I always wanted to do things on my own. Like if my parents tried to help me with something, I'd be like, no, no, no. Like, let me do it on my own, you know? And I majored in psychology, like I've always been really interested in human behavior. So that's like kind of another piece of it. But I don't know, I'm not really entirely sure where it stems from. I think I've just always wanted to do things on my own and like do it the best I can. That's cool. Yeah. And uh, maybe we'll dig into the psychology major in a little bit. I'm I'm super (laughs) interested in psychology too. If I could like combine three educational paths for like what I do, it would be like design, business and psychology. Because 
those three things are all so interconnected. And I feel like to do any one of, or to do business well, you need to know psychology and to do design well, you need to know business and psychology, et cetera. It just yeah. feels like it's a perfect mix. So I'm always geeking out on, on those three types of books. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It's um, so true. Anyway. So you were talking about how you couldn't find a good cookie dough <laughs> that kind of met your needs. So you started making your own. What was it about cookies in particular? Like, were you able to find all the other types of foods that you wanted? Like, I suppose you could have made like a protein pasta or a protein bread or low sugar condiments or something like that. But you you went in on cookie dough. Was it purely because you're a, a cookie dough addict? <laughs> pre, yeah. Pre-starting your own company? Yeah, a little bit. So I guess my neighbor's mom was a baker and growing up, we would go over there and just like, I remember sitting on like her porch and would eat like buckets of fondant, which is so bad. It's pure sugar. Like it's like that topping you put on cakes to make them look smooth, right? It's like, yeah, it's like sugar Play-Doh. And then cookie dough was the other thing. And I just, it's always been like a really nostalgic treat for me. So I've just, I've always loved it and I love snacking on it. And even like growing up, my dad would buy like the Pillsbury, like cookie dough rolls. And then I would get into it and I would literally, and I'd be in high school too, right? Like I would go in with a knife and just cut like a sliver off and I would find myself going back to the fridge and just continuing to like cut more and more and more off, right? I'm like, I'll just have a little bit. And then I end up eating half the roll and then I feel so sick, right? So I guess I wanted to bring that back in a way where I wouldn't feel sick, I would feel fuller, it wouldn't be just like empty carbs and sugars and processed crap. So I kind of like got to work and like experimented with different things in my kitchen and then came up with this. And then the the product that's on shelf today is a little bit different than what I initially started with. But it's kind of the same idea, like lower in sugar, quality plant based ingredients, added protein, so you feel fuller. And that's kind of why I chose I chose cookie dough. Yeah, that's cool. The, the funny the story about the cookie dough rolls, it reminds me of my, my ex <laughs> when she <laughs> got her driver's license. Literally, the first thing she did was drive to the grocery store and buy a roll of cookie dough and just eat it in the car because <laughs> she was like, <laughs> I finally have my freedom and I could do whatever I want. And gosh, damn it, I'm just going to go and buy some cookie dough <laughs> and eat it and ruin my dinner. And that's okay because like I can now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the that's cookie dough is... Yeah, I think a lot of people have memories with cookie dough in one way or another. And you're right, like it's kind of garbage, right? So I know my ex also made lots of experiments of always trying to make a healthy cookie that still gave you that same kind of warm, fresh out of the oven chocolate chip cookie kind of experience or something like that. And would always experiment with replacing everything with whole wheat or adding extra protein or trying to do it with less sugar or whatever. And I think for her, the struggle was always getting the texture to come out right when it was baked. Like it could taste great as dough, but it was hard to get it to come out right when baked. Um, So we can dive a little bit into your your dough here in a moment. But like, is it mostly meant to be eaten as dough or do you do people also bake your cookie dough? Yeah, so people can bake it. I tell them not to. Like, if you're going to want to, like, have a cookie, then go get a cookie. There's no eggs. There's no binding agent in it. So they're a little bit crispier. So I tell people you can microwave it for, like, 20 seconds, and you get, like, warm, gooey. Like, almost if you pull cookies from the oven too early, you kind of get that texture. Or, like, you put them on oatmeal, yogurt, ice cream, if you have a really big sweet tooth, pancakes, waffles, roll them into little balls and like pop them in the freezer. And then you have little cookie dough bites. Like it's pretty versatile, but I would say like 90% of my customers just eat it straight from the jar with a spoon. <laughs> nice. Okay. That makes sense. Cool. Um, so 
less sugar. How did you solve that? Because I know obviously one of the fundamental ingredients in a cookie or cookie dough is like the fat and the sugar, right? Everything else is just kind of to hold those two things together, right? Mm -hmm. So how did you go about finding a formula that was less sugar and more health? Yeah. So initially I had stevia in there. I'm not sure if you're familiar with like the the plant-based, like zero calorie sweeteners. But I found a lot of customers didn't like the bitterness of the stevia. So we played around with the ingredients. We brought in organic coconut sugar, some brown sugar. So we did keep some sugar in there because sugar isn't necessarily evil. It's just evil if you eat way, way, way too much of it. And I think like regular cookie dough has between 12 to 15 grams per serving. And that is just so excessive. So we just cut back on the sugar and then added in other sweeteners. Like there is a tapioca fiber syrup in there, which can be found in like other products like Smart Sweets. They use it. Uh, it adds fiber. It's sweet. It's not packed with the natural white granulated sugars that you normally get in the regular cookie dough. So we found alternative sweeteners. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. So it's still like when people eat it, it still has that desirable sweetness. It's just better sugars and less sugar. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So I know that one of the things you share a lot through your social media is the whole process of bootstrapping a company and the pros and the cons, the struggles, the moments of frustration, et cetera. So can you talk a little bit about how the company started, kind of some of your journey and how you've bootstrapped it to this point, just generally where you are now with the company? Like, do you, do you now have a staff? Do you have any investors yet? Or are you still bootstrapping? Yeah, so I launched it in December of 2019. And I knew nothing about CPG or food and beverage had no knowledge had no business experience. I didn't really know what my plans were for the company. I didn't know whether I wanted this to be like a legacy brand that I would grow and have forever. Or if I wanted to build it and sell it one day, I wasn't really thinking too long term. So I thought, okay, like I got $10,000. I'm going to put this in if this thing works. And if people like it, and if I actually get sales, and maybe I'll consider like, going all in on it. And I guess throughout the pandemic, social media blew up, the company started taking off, I started putting in more money, I started reinvesting back into the company, I took out some loans, was super scrappy, like I would do deliveries myself, um, make the product myself, did all my own branding and everything, which I think was very good for me to do. Like I got to learn all aspects of the business. And it's now it's easier for me, like as I'm hiring, I know what I need help with. So I really like that aspect of being a scrappy startup rather than hiring right from the get-go because I feel like people could take advantage of you. But yeah, I mean, it is hard. It's a grind. You can't move as quickly as you'd like to. You have to say no to a lot of opportunities just because you're so restricted with like the capital that you have unless you come from like a career and have a substantial amount of savings. But now I am going to be launching a crowdfunding campaign in the fall. I wish that I did it sooner. But yeah, I would say like at the beginning for the first year, like I tell people like test out an idea, kind of bootstrap it and then figure out what you want the brand to look like and where you want to take it. And if you want that exit and you want to grow quickly, then obviously you need to seek out investors and get capital to do that. I just started launching into retail and like one of the biggest hurdles is just supporting those retailers and setting up demos and marketing and free fills. Like they want free product on their shelf. They'll bring you in, but then they want all these things. So it's hard to do that when you don't have the money to do it. Yeah. So was some of the initial decision to bootstrap just like, like you said, you weren't sure exactly what you wanted to do. So you just figured you'd 
jump in and start experimenting, kind of a bias towards action and figure it out over time? Or was there some element of like you didn't want to lose control of the company or something else like that? A little bit of both, I guess. Honestly, I didn't even, I knew nothing. I didn't even know that, like the cost associated with CPG, for example, I had no idea prior, like for me as a consumer with no knowledge, like say I never, ever started a company in CPG. If I went to a grocery store, I'd look at all these brands and be like, wow, they're crushing it. They're making millions. They're doing so well. Like it looks so good (laughs) on the outside. And then you get on the other side of the fence and you're like, holy crap, everything's on fire. Like, and you're building the plane that's flying. So it's a little scary. And I think the deeper I got into it, I was like, okay, I can't do this alone. I can only bootstrap it so far. I need to hire, I need to get help because I'm just going to be stuck in this like spin cycle if I just keep going the way that I'm going. And I think it's important for founders to realize that too, is like ask for help and bring on people when you need them, whether it be investors or employees or mentors or whatever. But yeah, if I were to do one thing differently, I wish that I brought on an investor or fundraise sooner just because it would have helped me sleep a little better at night too. (laughs) And I would have been able to move a little quicker. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's easy to look back on what you know now and say, I'd love to add fuel at this point because I could have scaled quicker or whatever, but it is scary, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're running a business and it's already a risk running a business on your own cash, but then the fear of going out and raising other people's cash and being responsible for their money and then also having their input or their pressure on the business. I know what I hear from a a lot of entrepreneurs is as soon as you lock down those investors, if you're not strategic about those investors and and aligned on vision, they might start pressuring you to do a lot of things that you're not comfortable with in terms of like maybe cutting the product quality to save Mm -hmm. money and increase margins or to go hard after this market or pivot here or whatever. When, when maybe what the company needs is just a little bit of time to figure itself out. So I agree with you that it's nice to like start out a little bootstrappy and just have your feet on the ground, be talking to customers, be figuring out what you want the company to be and testing out some of your initial theories because they're not always right once once you get into the actual market, right? But then when is that right moment to like pull the lever and bring on investors? I don't know if anyone has that answer. It's probably different for every person. So, But it is good to know that like maybe bringing on investors a little bit earlier than you did is it would be a helpful thing. But again, like where do people know when to pull that trigger? That's got to be a difficult one. I mean, maybe you've got advice there. Man, it is tough because everyone does things differently and you could put 10 founders with all different size companies in a room and everyone is going to have a different strategy. And I think that is difficult too. If you go to too many people and ask too many people for their opinions, it's overwhelming. And then you don't know what to do. It's like analysis, paralysis by analysis. Is that what it is? I know a lot of people get that. And I've gotten that too. So now I have a handful of people that I go to and I talk to, but I don't know, I guess it's like a gut feeling too. Like, you know, if you feel like your business is investable, like if you were in an investor's shoes and you came to you and you're like, okay, like looking at your business, would you put your own money into it? Like if you weren't the founder, I think you have to look from their perspective, right? And then once you kind of feel that it's investable, then maybe go out and start raising. But it does get scary when you're bringing someone else's money on. Like it's it's very scary. The thought of it even now to me is very scary. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and maybe that, yeah, that's a good point. Is like, is this investable? And, and what sparks in my mind at the moment is as an entrepreneur, you know, a lot of times you're just kind of like, trying things out and seeing what sticks and 
going in this direction, going in that direction. And right when you think you got it figured out, the economy changes or, or there's a pandemic or something like that and you got to pivot, right? So there's always this like learning space where you're trying to figure out, testing out ideas, et cetera. But sometimes as an entrepreneur, I think you get these light bulb moments where all your experiences add up or you all of a sudden you see the vision more clearly and you kind of have an idea of the structure or where you want to grow or how you want to grow or how you want to expand or whatever. And I feel like maybe it's in that moment when you get that clarity and it's finally like the clouds part and you can see the future of the business and it makes financial sense. Maybe that's the moment where you add fuel to the fire, get some investors in to help you bring that vision to life. Because without cash, you know, that vision can just be frustrating because you know where you want to go. But it's only, you can only get so far on your own, you know, with, with limited resources or limited time. So, so maybe it's like when that clarity comes for some, that might be day one, they might've started the business with clarity for others. It might be year five or 10 when they finally figure out what they want their baby to be. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. I don't know. Maybe that's how I would phrase it is, is once yeah. that clarity clicks, that's a good time to go get money. Yeah, I agree. So out of curiosity, so you said you majored in psychology. Again, I mentioned that I feel like psychology is super important for business and design and other things, but have you found your psychology degree helpful at all in kind of your journey as an entrepreneur? I'll be completely honest. I don't remember a whole lot from my undergrad. (laughs) I do. Like I know, I know it's in there somewhere. I took like sports psychology, social psychology, gender psychology, like all different psychologies. Cause I actually wanted to be a psychiatrist. Like I love helping people and yeah, it's a very interesting field to me. And I think after I graduated and then looked at all the schooling and the costs associated with schooling ahead of me, I was like, now nah, I'm gonna not do that. I'll see if I can do something else. But I think it definitely has helped me in business. And I know that it can be like, like you said, it can be applied to literally anything, even like I never thought about it. But interior design too. like, you go into a casino, and you look at how a casino set up, there's no clocks, there's no windows, all psychology, right? Like they don't want you to know what time it is. They don't want you to know what time of day it is, you know? And that's why people get trapped in there for hours and hours gambling and colors, certain colors make you feel a certain way. And that helps with the branding and stuff. So I think it can be applied to literally anything. And if you were to major, if I were to go back in time and like pick a different major, it would probably be business or I would have done psychology. Like those are the two most important, I think, for what I'm doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. To your point, the design of the carpet or the fact that there's no clocks on the wall or the, for example, like Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory, this uh, well-known kind of like candy business or whatever that is, retail locations, they pump out the smell of chocolate out onto the street Uh, to pull people in and get them excited. But there's all these little, yeah, there's all these little like design choices that are kind of psychology based, right? An episode I did a little bit back, I don't remember the episode number, so people have to go search or maybe we'll put a link in the show notes, but I broke down the book Influence the Psychology of Persuasion, which has, I think, seven principles, like social proof and trusting authority, like different things like that, uh, like probably like fear of missing out. I don't remember all the principles per se at the moment, but but I broke down each of those kind of principles in, in a way that it could apply to your branding or, or ways that you could use that in your branding. And that's kind of why I was asking, because I know there's so many different ways that you can apply it to your packaging or apply it to your social media, apply it to your emails, apply it to like maybe even the way you go out and pitch retailers, et cetera. So 
I find that subject fascinating. Anyone that wants to look up how to, it, the book Influence doesn't tell you how to apply it to business, but I think if you read it, you can kind of intuit some ideas of how it might fit in your business. Yeah, I'll have to read it. I haven't heard of that. Yeah. So speaking of persuasion, <laughs> one of the ways that you've been able to grow your brand is through your awesome kind of social media presence, which I don't think you came from like a, I know how to do social media background. I think I've even seen some of your posts saying that like before you started posting on TikTok or wherever that like you <laughs> didn't even feel comfortable getting in front of the camera or anything like that. But you did manage to find ways to use social media for your growth. So what was that journey like? Like what pulled you into the social media the, in the first place? And then how did you learn to get your feet um, kind of on stable ground and understand how to use it for your brand? Yeah, so there was a couple things. So I was forced to do it because I didn't have the funds to outsource <laughs> it. <laughs> so that's another thing. Like no. I did it because I had to, not because I wanted to initially. And I learned to love it along the way. And then I kind of went through this parallel where I was growing the business and then going through this like or down this self-development journey, which was really interesting because I call myself a forced extrovert, basically. But yeah, I mean, I think the thing that really triggered me to start posting, it was first LinkedIn. Um, I got on there about a year into owning my business. I never understood what it was. I didn't think the platform would help me in any shape or form. I thought it was just for like corporate and, you know, suit and tie kind of thing. And again, I was also very stubborn. I didn't think that other people could help me. And I didn't want to ask for help too. I had too much of an ego, I think, <laughs> uh, which yep. I know is common. So um, I, yeah, I got on there and I remember scrolling and seeing all this like almost toxic positivity. Like you see all the wins <laughs> and people fundraising and doing like X amount of sales and growing their team and building out a manufacturing facility, like all these great things, right? And I think I was at like one of the lowest points in my business. I was just burnt out. I was doing everything on my own. I wanted to hire, but didn't know how. I didn't understand the industry and all the costs associated with it and how to scale. And I kind of hit this this cap um, and couldn't grow the company anymore on my own. So mm. I went on there and then I started talking to other founders. And then we all started talking about all the crap we deal with as being an entrepreneur and I thought, I'm like, why does no one talk about this? Why does no one post about this on social media? Like, are people hiding it? Do they want, not want people to know? Do they think that, like, it's going to turn people off and, like, not want to, like, purchase or support the business? Or So I decided to just start, like, documenting everything. Like, me having literally the worst days in my car doing deliveries, like, crying. Like, you know, like, the worst of the worst days. I'm like, I'm just going to put it on social yeah. media. And if it can help one person, then that's all I want. Because... That's what I needed at the time. Like I wanted to go on there and I wanted to see someone who was like me and like, you know, like fighting and struggling and not having all these wins after wins because that's just not the reality of it. And it also kind of discourages, I guess, potential or uh, entrepreneurial curious people, right? Because they look at all that stuff and all the good stuff and then they get into it themselves and they're like, wow, this is actually way harder. It's not for me, right? And it's, it's not the case. It's for everyone. You just, you got to keep going through the ride, right? There's peaks and valleys. So yeah, I think just that resonated with my audience that I built. And that was never my intention to build this following, but it kind of just came organically as I put out content over the last few years. Nice. So I know that you have a pretty good following on LinkedIn, like you were saying, but then you also jumped over to TikTok and you've gotten a lot of growth there. I know 
from working in the design world and supporting brands. We don't necessarily manage social media, so I don't know much at all. I haven't even downloaded TikTok yet. But (laughs) what I do know is that a lot of our clients are very intimidated by TikTok, partly because it's not something necessarily that you plan out in advance and schedule the next three months of posts, et cetera. You have to be very reactive to the trending music or the trending memes or whatever, like the types of posts that you can do, like whether it's little dances or skits or, you know, whatever else. So how did, how did you decide to jump into TikTok and how did you figure out that platform? I had a friend who was on there. So she started a company and that was the platform she used to market her product. And I watched her blow up. She had a few videos go viral. She was selling out of inventory. And I was just kind of on the sidelines watching all of this happen in real time and was mind blown. And it was completely organic too. So I like sat down with myself and was like, okay, I'm just going to go for it. Like I hate putting myself like in front of the camera. It makes me uncomfortable. I'm just, I'm better now and I've gotten comfortable with it, but a very self-conscious person and just something that just seemed so unappealing to me. But I did it for the business. I did it for the better of the business. And I told myself I'm going to post every day for like a few months and see what happens and just like fully commit to it. Because with TikTok, you have to commit. You can't just kind of do one post a week and hope that it goes viral. That's not how it works. So I remember I posted one video, like I was at the kitchen all night. I came home at like 11 or 12 and then put together this video of like all this dough mixing in a mixer with some music over top. And then the next day, my phone was blowing up. The Shopify cha-ching was going off. I thought it was busted. I was getting like thousands of <laughs> freaking followers on Instagram. And I think the video had 300,000 views on TikTok. It was crazy. Oh my gosh. And then wow. I got 150 orders from that. And I was freaking out because I didn't track my inventory that well. My inventory was scattered everywhere. Some was in my condo living room. Some was in the kitchen. Like it was just a mess. And I remember my friend came over and we folded boxes all weekend and packed orders and I stored them on my balcony in the winter. So that was a blessing to have a outside freezer in a super cold Canadian temperatures. <laughs> but yeah, ever since then, my TikTok account has grown and I think I have over 200,000 followers now and it's just been a really great channel to market the product organically. So that video, you said it was just like mixing cookie dough with some music in the background. But what was it that drove people to your Shopify or to follow you on other social? Like, did you like that was the video, but did you kind of like post, hey, go buy my cookie dough here in the in the text of the post or something like that? I think I had like my profile set up with like my link and everything in there. And then people just went to it and then they clicked through and found their way. And then I rode the momentum. So I just kept posting. Yeah, I saw that that video blew up and I'm like, you know what? I have eyes on my page. I need to keep posting. So I think I posted like six TikToks in one day. And then I stuck with that. I was for like probably oh, a few months. Okay. Yeah, for a few months, I was posting like three to five TikToks a day. It was a little extreme. Um, I had a little bit more time on my hands. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, and uh, it just continued to grow. And then I uh, decided to go the approach similar to LinkedIn and kind of like connect with my followers on a deeper level and be like really engaged with them and share the journey, the highs, the lows, all of that. And I think that's also really helped keep my audience engaged and continue to grow the account. That's cool. Do you feel like you bring the same kind of content and voice to LinkedIn and to TikTok? Or is it pretty wildly different? Like maybe same idea of showing the journey, but you have to like create it in a different way for TikTok that you would for LinkedIn. 
There's a bit of overlap. I would say TikTok is a lot more like playful and fun and not serious. And I, I do have that same energy on LinkedIn, but there's a lot of TikToks that I just don't bring over to LinkedIn. They just stay on TikTok, like the dancing trends and stuff and the voiceovers, because I feel like a lot of people who aren't on TikTok won't understand it. <laughs> but yeah, I try to like keep it real and come through as like authentic as I can on both platforms. Nice. Okay, so since you did kind of figure out how to hack TikTok to grow your brand, which is exciting, you decided to put together a course for other brands trying to grow on TikTok. So what inspired putting together a course and tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so I guess when I started blowing up on TikTok, I became a huge TikTok nerd. I spent all my time researching it, trying different things. Clubhouse, when that thing, when that app was around during the pandemic, <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, I would go into like uh, Clubhouse chat rooms and we'd talk about TikTok, kind of go in with other creators and stuff and kind of learn from them. And uh, yeah, throughout my time growing my account, I had probably like five to 10 brands every few days reach out to me and ask for help and how I kind of figured out TikTok and how it benefited me and if it would be good for their business. And I was having all these one-off conversations and I got to a point where I just, I couldn't do it anymore. So I thought, okay, why don't I just put out a course complete with like videos, explanations, examples, everything that someone could possibly need to build their TikTok account. And then they can just download it or go on, log in and do it at their own pace. And that's kind of the, how that came about. And then I guess on top of that, I do offer one-on-one -on -one with brands and I help them with their social media strategy, whether it be TikTok, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever, just to help get them seen. And uh, I think that's where psychology comes in too, is because a lot of founders are not comfortable with posting or showing themselves on social media or, you know, like they're very resistant to that. So helping them work through that as well and get comfortable with showing up. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. You had so much... So many people asking questions that, of course, just made the most sense to say, yeah. if you have got questions, go over here. That'll answer most of them. But then you can still, for the people who want to go further or need more hands-on support, you can still kind of do that one-on-one -on -one and consult with them. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Cool. So like you mentioned that you're working towards a crowdfunding campaign. Is that going to be on WeFunder or one of the other platforms? So I'm going to be launching with Front Funder. That's kind of what we're looking to do right now. There might be a time where I launch with a US platform as well, but I'm not entirely sure. I guess I'll just plug that here though. Like if you're American and you want to invest in a growing cookie dough company, you can reach out to me. Or uh, unfortunately, if you're American, you can't invest through the crowdfunding campaign just because it is on a Canadian platform, but Canadians can. Interesting. I had WeFunder on the show a while back, but I didn't even realize they were like country specific. Um, yeah. So that's good info for me to know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so tricky. you're, you know, you're going to do this crowdfunding campaign, raise a little bit of capital. So you got some more cash to grow the business, which is super critical in CPG, as, as you've mentioned. And as many of our other guests have mentioned, it's kind of an, a common theme of however much you think you need to grow a CPG brand, like multiply that by 10 or a thousand or, or something yeah. like that. Maybe you'll come close. But with that said, you're going to have some cash coming in to grow the business. What's the future look like for Brodo? Are you doing product expansions, just get more distribution coming to the US? Like what's the game plan? Uh, yeah, I mean, the US is definitely a priority for me. We're just trying to figure that out. I am um, working through some improvements with the product because I reformulated last year, we launched that into the market, got a bunch of consumer feedback, 
listening to that feedback and implementing that and uh, doing a little bit of a brand refresh. And that should be launching towards the end of the year, early 2023. And then I think in 2023, you'll see Brodo in the US, whether it be selling online or in a few stores, but that is kind of the priority and uh, continuing to support our existing Canadian retailers. Nice. Okay, so more people will see Brodo, people will see maybe possibly improved product. Not that it's not good now, but it it can get even better, right? And then possibly a, a brand refresh. You know, it might be too early to say, but what were some of the things you were trying to solve in that brand refresh? Yeah, it's just the call-outs, like the packaging. There are some tweaks that we want to make, just make like the logo bigger because that was confusing for consumers. We had the saying, uh, this ain't your mama's cookie dough on the front. And people were getting confused thinking that that was the name of the brand when it is actually Brodo. So just switching some things around. I have a really great employee and he sent out a survey and we got over 600 responses and went through all of that, put together like a proposal for our packaging. And there's different callouts that matter more than what we have on there currently. We're switching packaging. We want to be more eco-friendly and sustainable. Yeah, just like little little tweaks that will help the brand and also making a cleaner ingredient deck too, because that's super important. Gotcha. Okay, that's cool. That reminds me, we also had a past episode called, I think it's 30 questions for better food packaging or better food packaging in 30 questions or something like that. But that kind of breaks down questions that consumers might be asking themselves about your product. Like, what is it? Or what's the brand name? Do I know them? Do I trust them? Like, what's the difference between this product and that product? But also dives into sustainability questions, etc. So anyone listening that wants to evaluate their own packaging to see if it's time for a bit of a refresh, check that episode out as well. With that said, I know we got to wrap up here, but maybe as a kind of final note, do you have any top tips that you could um, pass on to other founders looking to bootstrap their growth? Yeah, think about scaling sooner rather than later. That's one thing that I wish I did sooner because I was in product development for like, gosh, like four or five months, just because my formula, I couldn't commercialize it the way it was, we had to basically strip it down and rebuild it because of the shelf life. And sometimes formulas aren't compatible with your manufacturer's equipment and stuff. So think about that earlier and try to find partners that you want to scale with sooner before you're ready. Because when you're ready, it takes time to get that stuff set up. And then the other thing is, don't be afraid to ask for help. That's one thing too that delayed everything for me by a year because I did not want to reach out to anyone and ask for help. And the second I started asking for help, things just started growing. And I saw all these different parts of my business moving in ways that I've never seen before. And that alone was enough of a reason for me to like... And there's no such thing as a stupid question. If I have a question about something, I don't hold back anymore. I used to. I used to think, oh, what what are they going to think of me? Are they going to think I'm stupid? Or you know what? If you don't know something, ask because you're going to regret if you make assumptions, you know, it's not going to help you or the business or anyone. So I guess that's, yeah, in a nutshell, that's the advice that I would give. (laughs) Nice. And I'd add to that, it can be intimidating maybe to ask questions, because like you said, you either you're afraid of looking like you don't know what you're doing, or you're afraid to bother someone else who might be busy. But I personally have found that people are often excited to offer help, (laughs) to offer advice, Like, sure, there are some people out there super competitive who are like, I'm not giving you my secret sauce. But I think in this industry, at least, and in general in life, I think people are flattered when you ask them. 
for advice and they're more than happy to share some of their wisdom. So I would encourage people to for sure uh, go out and, you know, set your goals high. Like even just go ask people that you look up to that are crushing it in business. The worst thing you can get is no answer, but like maybe you'll get an answer and build a relationship out of that too. So, so definitely go ask for help. I love that advice. Yeah, cool. for sure. We will put links to your website, to your class, to your social media and all that kind of stuff in, in the links so people can go find out more. But I just want to wrap up by saying thanks for sharing some of your time with us and your story and, and for sharing all that you do share on social media. It's, it's fun watching your journey. It's inspiring to see people just kind of like putting it out there, telling the truth rather than the polished exterior of this is the only stuff I want you to see. Like entrepreneurial journeys are difficult. Life is difficult, (laughs) you know, business, the world, everything is a challenge. So it's nice to see people being real there on social media. So thanks for doing what you do and, and trying to write the ship of social media to be a little bit more honest and um, looking forward to seeing where Brodo grows from here. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate all the support and thanks for having me on the show. And I hope you can try it soon. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. I will uh, seek it out (laughs) for sure. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Erica or Brodo, go to brodo.ca. That's B-R-O-D-O-U-G-H dot C-A. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review, and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback, so send us your thoughts or ideas for who we should talk to next to evolve at modernspecies.com. <laughs>